morning. Welcome again to Fellowship of Grace. I'm glad that you're here today. As you can tell, I have virtually no voice. But I gotta make it through one more service, and then I can not talk for a week. Um, I think part of it is I'm severely jet-lagged. I usually don't get jet-lagged, but as most of you know, you've been praying for us. You gave financially for us to send a team to the Philippines. We've been there for the last nine days. And God just really worked through that. And I want to thank you for praying for us, for um, giving so that we can financially go. And uh, just being a mission-minded church, I really appreciate that. Um, We're going to share a lot of the experiences that we had next Sunday night at 6 o'clock. So if you have a 4 o'clock community group next week, I want to encourage you to meet at 5 o'clock for snacks and then come here at 6 o'clock. And if you have a 6 o'clock community group on Sunday nights, Uh, Maybe next week, just bring your community group here. I think it will be really eye-opening to share with you some of the things that we saw and heard in the Philippines. And uh, I think part of my voice problem is that I've had actually one hour of sleep since five o'clock yesterday morning. So if I can keep my voice going and not pass out, I think we'll have a good service. Um, You know, I was thinking about, um, uh, by the way, Derek's gonna read the scriptures for me today to just help me not talk quite so much. That's what he's up here for. He's not ready to take over in case I pass out. Uh, You know, there's been a lot of very poorly worded announcements in church bulletins over the years. And uh, one of my favorites was a bulletin the week before Easter. It actually said in the church bulletin, be sure and be here next Sunday for Easter as Mrs. Smith will come and lay an egg on the altar. Now, I don't know what kind of church that was. And by the way, that's much funnier if it was louder, just so you know. Uh, but I, I, that's one of my favorites of all time. I'm sure she was just laying an egg on the altar, but I'm sure it really got some kids excited about Easter. We are starting a new series today <clears throat> that we're going to be going through over the next four weeks called um, God's Not Dead 2. Now, if this looks familiar to you, you may have seen the first movie that came out a little over a year ago called God's Not Dead. In that first movie, there was a college freshman who was challenged to defend his faith in a philosophy class. Now, folks, we can't avoid the truth that the culture and our faith are clashing with greater frequency, and we are clashing at a a harder rate. Now, as a church, we cannot be spectators in this, but we must be educated participants in this dialogue and this conflict. The second movie is coming out, I think, uh, Friday, or came out Friday. I'm kind of off on all my days and stuff. Uh, the second movie is coming out, and the, this is a drama switches from the classroom to the courtroom. In this movie, a high school teacher who answers a student's direct question about some of Jesus' teachings find herself in a ferocious legal battle. Now, the young girl has been honestly looking for answers since the death of her brother. She wants to know if Jesus' teachings fit into real-life situations or if they apply to real-life Uh, issues or if they're just pie in the sky philosophy. Now many people ask these same questions and they want to know if God, his son Jesus, and the Bible have real answers to real life questions. So today our first sermon in this series is titled Finding Faith at Ground Zero The Search for Answers in the Midst of Life's Pain. You know, my parents and the generation before them 
uh, they uh, uh, kind of associated evil with a big event, and that was Pearl Harbor. I remember my parents talking about that and, and my grandparents talking about that. Uh, but for our generation, uh, ground zero is the representation of the greatest evil in mankind. Fact is, our world changed on 9-11 of 2001. If terror and evil have an anniversary, this is it. This is it. Now, most of us remember where we were when we heard or saw on television the attacks on New York City. The place became known as Ground Zero. Now, many people have come to this place to remember and honor those who died in the Twin Towers. But others come because of this question. How can man be so evil? But inevitably, all of these questions really lead to the age-old question, where was God? And why didn't he do something? I mean, if God is all-powerful, why didn't he stop this from happening? This is a common question. In fact, it's the biggest question that people have about God who don't believe in him. It is both the skeptic's taunt and it is the believer's challenge to answer this question. Now, the movie really addresses this question. I want to help people find a real and life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ like we have found. We have to be able to answer some of these big questions about life. In the movie, uh, there's a girl that's brokenhearted and looking for answers and comfort for her broken heart. She comes from a family without faith, which has only brought greater darkness and uncertainty. Folks, the fact is, atheism doesn't take away the pain. It just takes away the hope. As pastors, uh, we, we deal with the hurt in people's lives almost on a daily basis. Uh, death, uh, relationships breaking up, uh, difficulty with children, all kinds of different uh, problems in life. God in his infinite mercy and love created the church to be a place of hope and refuge in the midst of life's pain. As Christians, we see that God is the source of life and hope. Evil is a problem in the human heart that Jesus came to change. God isn't just interested in the evil that happens to us, but he's also interested in the evil that happens through us. Atheists don't struggle with evil. Fact is, if God doesn't exist, then everyone gets to determine for themselves what is good and what is wrong, what is right and wrong. You know, in fact, your kids are being taught this in public schools. They're being taught that right and wrong only exist as they define it. They're allowed to define what is right and wrong for them. Folks, there is no right and wrong for them. There is simply right and wrong. We as Christians believe that God does exist and that he is the source of morality and he gets to define, gets to define what is right and wrong. But Easter is the celebration that evil will not have the last word no matter how badly things are right now, folks. Evil loses in the end. In this sermon today, ground zero is the place of the greatest pain in our lives that will either be a stepping stone or a stumbling block in our search for God, depending on how we approach those things. In other words, folks, 
I don't know what great pain you might be going through now. Uh, some of you have been through them in the past of your life. If you haven't been through it in the past or going through it now, you will. It's coming. But when we face those big struggles, those great pains of life, we can either choose to use those to draw us closer to God or we can use them to push ourselves away from God. It's all in our approach. Take a look at the key passage today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 and 17, and notice how much better my voice gets. <laughs> now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." The search, the search for answers to life. Where do we find them? Listen, the world is getting smaller with nonstop breaking news all around the world. I mean, I mean, uh, we were able to travel from Manila to Tokyo to Detroit to Kansas City in 24 hours. That's a long way. Uh, we can see on our news uh, uh, broadcasts from all around the world in an instant. We can see live television all over the world. The world is just getting smaller and smaller. Because of this, it seems like evil is winning because it gets most of the press. For unbelievers, the search for answers is sometimes deterred by the lack of belief for even one second that there may be a spiritual solution to evil in the world. Look what it says in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against an ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You see, sometimes when people don't honestly seek the truth, their unrighteous thinking is the biggest blockade to them finding the truth. If I'm too stubborn to even consider going north in my quest to get to the North Pole, it will be impossible for me to ever achieve it. What this is saying, folks, is this, if somebody who is not a believer in God or a believer in his son, Jesus Christ, if they won't even for a moment consider the possibility that there is a spiritual answer to life's problems, they're probably never going to find it. The fact is, if, if, if my wife's vacuum cleaner breaks down and I don't believe that the manual has any help for me and I refuse to look at it, it won't be any help to me. I'll have to figure it out on my own and usually don't. <laughs> Folks, we can't be too stubborn to even consider the possibility that God is who he says he is and that his son, Jesus Christ, is who he said he was. There's a woman named Rebecca Alonzo who wrote a book, a bestseller called The Devil in Pew Number 7. She was only seven years old when she saw her parents attacked by an intruder before her very eyes. Her mother was shot to death. Her father was severely injured. She watched as the assailant was convicted, only to be let out of jail a few years later. But instead of turning against God, she turned to him for help. She said, 
I needed God more than I needed to be mad at him. That's, that's a perspective. I, I need God more than I need to be mad at him. She intuitively knew that God was not the source of her pain, but the healer of it. This is the great blessing we have as believers for those of us who have given our lives to Christ. We've been given the gift of comfort and hope in Jesus Christ. As we'll see throughout this series, this is not a false hope or a a product of some kind of wishful thinking on our part. It is grounded in real evidence, which we will look at in greater detail over the next few weeks. Folks, the reality is, and I, I believe this with all my heart, if anybody had a truly a blank slate in their spiritual thinking. If they would look at the evidence that stacks up for Jesus raising from the dead, being exactly who he said he was, you could come to no other logical and intelligent conclusion but that he was the savior of the world. But people don't want to see the truth. They don't want to open their eyes to it. They don't want to seek what's really true. They want to seek what's self-serving. Jesus announced his mission from the beginning of his ministry in Luke chapter four. Here's what he said. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You can see this over and over in the life of Jesus. He was drawn to those in need and those in need were drawn to him. Listen, regardless of the cause cause of your pain, whether it was something beyond your control or self-inflicted wounds that are a result of bad decisions, Christ is still willing to help. You know, I'm so glad somebody told me years ago, when when the chips are down, don't run from God and his church. Run to them. Folks, it's a natural part of our human nature when when we are going through difficult times to run away from God, to run away from his church. But folks, we gotta watch that because the very person and the very people that will help us and love us the most are God and his church. When things are difficult, we should run to them for help, not from them out of embarrassment. This is the essence of God's grace. When we feel like we least deserve his help, he helps us anyway because he loves us. He is especially willing to help us when we search for him honestly. Look what it says in Hebrews 11. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Folks, what this means is, listen, if you're searching for God and not currently finding the answers to life's problems, don't stop. Press on with more diligence and more commitment to find the answers through him and his word. Think about the people that you like and you want to be around. Usually it's because of their sincerity and their desire to be around you. Listen, the same attitude applies to a relationship with God. He responds to those who desire and seek a relationship with him. If there's any promise and hope that we can offer you at the very beginning of this series, it is that your sincere search for God will not be in vain. It will not be in vain. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 7. 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. When it comes to God, there is no question that's off limits. There is no crisis that is beyond his help or his concern. And by the way, you don't have to abandon reason and logic in your quest to believe. Your faith can be based on the strong evidence that God is real and his promises can be trusted. So we not only need to search for answers, but we as Christians have a calling to help others find the answers. One of the ways God helps the searching is to use people who are already committed to Christ and his, as his instruments of truth and grace. Listen, God could do whatever he wants to do. He could have chosen to, that when I want to communicate to mankind, I'm going to write it in the sky. Or as you're walking down the street, it's going to appear on the sidewalk. God could have done any of those things. But he doesn't do those things. He's chosen to use those of us who've already given our lives to Christ as ambassadors to those who haven't yet. That's why one of the goals of this series is to help believers answer the questions that their friends have who are searching for God. You know, it's funny how deep down all of us, I think, wants to do something big in our lives. In reality, for most of us, God will use little things to be a big impact. We may not do big things, but he'll use little things to make a big impact. We all know the power of negative uh, talk, negative thinking. Telling a child, I wish you were never born, uh, could be a scar for that child for the rest of their life. Uh, Saying to a child, I wish you were more like your siblings, I wish you were smart like them. I wish you were athletic like them. That could destroy a child for a very, very long time. But folks, it's not just the negative things that stick with us. It's also the positive things. I think some of my greatest memories are when someone showed me kindness and encouragement, understanding and love. God wants to speak through us as we speak to others about their faith. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He wants to use us as ambassadors to those who don't know him yet. Now, most of us, we don't want to ask for help or for directions if you're a man. You know? In fact, we don't do it until we're so frustrated we can't see straight. I remember one time as a child, uh, we were on vacation and I, we were going through St. Louis and we were going through one of those places where it had like five or six highways over the top of each other. And as we were driving through, my mom said to my father, we're lost, aren't we? And he said, no, I'm not lost at all. I went right down there on that highway. And I think he said that about five more times as we crossed a different way. He said, I want to be, I know where I am. I want to be right there. I don't think we ever found it. But uh, he, he, he just wouldn't ask for directions. Uh, listen, listen we, we, we can be like that sometimes. And our friends can be like that when, when they're searching for God. They can be incredibly successful in some areas of life while their spiritual life can be a barren wasteland. I mean, they just have no knowledge of who God is. And they they just can't find some answers. I think most of the time, if we'll just pay attention and stop being preoccupied by our own agendas and schedules and cell phones, 
we'll be aware of how God is leading people around us to him. You know, you can't always tell the pastors about your friends or loved ones who are searching as though we have responsibility as ambassadors, but you don't. Okay, I, 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 and I appreciate some of you who come to us and say, uh, Pastor Michael, my friend has some questions about God. Can you meet with him? And, and we, we love doing that. But I want you to meet with him. I want you to, to talk to him about his questions. Uh, we are not the priests here who are waiting for you to bring everybody to us so that we can tell them about Jesus. Remember, we're, just, we're the equippers. You're the ministers of the church. We're not the ministers. You are. God expects all of you to reach out to your friends and neighbors. In the movie, Brooke is searching for answers. This young lady named Brooke who lost her brother. She's searching for answers, but she's not alone. Many helped her in her desire to know the truth, particularly another character in the movie named Martin who diligently searched for answers of his own and now he's helping her to find those same answers. Look at a clip from the film. Had so many notes written in the margins that for the first time I felt like I was truly getting to know my brother. Like God gave me the extra five minutes that I so desperately needed with him. I just don't understand why he never told me about his faith. Sharing one's faith with family, especially not knowing how they will react, can be difficult. Count our struggles as blessings. That is exactly right. There are more than five minutes awaiting you and your brother. John chapter 11, verse 25 to 26 says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I do. Then invite him into your heart and make him the Lord of your life. Martin didn't tell her to go talk to her pastor or to his pastor. He just simply shared the gospel with her. Now, we not only need to search for answers if we don't know God yet, we not only need to have a calling to help others, but we need to be able to defend our faith. You know, Martin's desire to know the reasons for his own faith not only helped him, but it prepared him to aid Brooke overcome her intellectual challenges to becoming a Christian. When we say defending your faith, it's not in an arrogant or argumentative fashion. It's being able to give logical, intelligent reasons for your faith in the risen Son of God. Folks, our faith is not a blind and stupid faith where we stand on the edge of a ledge and just say, okay, I'll believe. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith says that I've looked at the evidence. It seems real to me. It seems like it's true to me, and I put my faith and trust in Christ. We must go beyond just desiring to help others and prepare ourselves to give the reasons that the Christian faith is true and provides the solutions to life's perplexities. This means at some point, regardless of how positive and encouraging we are, 
We have to give people answers to their difficult questions. Now, as humble as it may sound sometimes to tell others, well, I don't know, I don't know, when facing a tough question, eventually you and I must be able to answer the questions that are obscuring people's understanding of the existence of a loving God. Though God is mysterious, it's no mystery what questions people will likely ask. There's a few questions people just ask over and over and over again. It's like watching the movie Groundhog Day. You know, y'all seen the movie Groundhog Day? By the way, I've always wanted to do this, but, you know, never go against the family. I've always wanted to do that with the Godfather voice. Uh, but in this movie, Groundhog Day, people tend to ask the same questions over and over, do the same things over and over and over again every day. That's what people do. They ask the same few questions over and over about God. And so we need to know how to answer these. This question about pain and suffering has been asked practically since the beginning of time. Where is God in the midst of pain and suffering? Now, most of us might quickly tell someone that man's choices to do evil are the real problem. And that may prove true for someone in jail or who's experiencing a broken relationship. But that's not a good enough answer for someone who's suffering from cancer or a family who's just lost their child to a drunk driver. This response sounds completely hollow. If God is all-powerful, why didn't he stop the calamity or answer the desperate pleas for help? And if he's not all-powerful and couldn't help, then he's not really God. And by the way, there are basically two kinds of people asking this question. One is a person debating a theoretical point in an effort to not believe in God. They're trying to convince themselves not to believe in God. But the other group, folks, they have real pain and hurt, and they just don't understand how to find God. The first group, just wanting to argue and debate, have very little hope of finding the truth until they engage in an honest and open discussion. But I think the second group are really trying to understand how God is involved in their lives and in this painful situation. Where is God in this? How is he working in this? I want to know. Now, my experience has been to listen to them and listen long enough to where they will eventually listen to me. The reality is we cannot explain the spiritual battle that is raging by only talking about two of the three main actors in the world. We can't completely explain pain and suffering in the world by only discussing God and man. While sometimes the pain and suffering is a clear decision on man's part to ignore God and his laws, it doesn't explain everything. There's a, there's a passage, though, that alludes to this first way. It's found in Proverbs 19. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin... His heart rages against the Lord. Listen, God's commandments were given like signs on a highway to warn us of danger ahead. To ignore those signs can cost someone everything, including their life. But there's something else in the world beyond people just making bad choices and choosing to do evil. There is a spiritual enemy of God and man. The fact is, Satan and the evil forces in this world are as real and alive as Jesus himself. In fact, Jesus said this in John 10.10. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus, Jesus believed in the enemy. He talked about the enemy. Look what the apostles talk about in Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We see here that Luke says that there are people that are actually oppressed by the devil. We see in this passage that there are three main actors in the battle of good and evil, God and man and Satan. It's important to understand and communicate to others that they do have an enemy. But folks, their enemy isn't God. He wants to deliver them from the enemy. He's not the enemy. Which brings us to our last point today, and that is the hope of the gospel. The hope of the gospel. God's message, which is called the good news or the gospel, because Christ has come to bring freedom to the spiritual captives. Now, being a captive isn't just about physical bondage, but also destructive, deceptive, and difficult thought patterns. Just as God's word is truth, the enemy's words and thoughts are deceptions and lies. Look what the apostle Paul wrote. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Philosophy can mean simply ideas, any ideas. Ideas can indeed have a dramatic consequence to our lives. Believing something to be true when it's actually false can be fatal. The ultimate test of faith is therefore not sincerity, but truth. Did you get that? I can't believe I'm going to actually repeat something today, but that's worth it. The ultimate test of faith is not sincerity, but it's truth. It doesn't matter how much you believe something, how sincere you are in believing something false, it'll never make it true. Jesus didn't say that he had the truth or that he knew the truth, but look what he says in John 14. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He didn't say he knew the truth or he had the truth. He said he was the truth. I am the truth. We're going to explore through this series just how good the good news is. But for now, we want to talk about the fact that the gospel brings about hope, specifically the hope of spiritual freedom. Remember, freedom is not the right to do what you want to do. Freedom is the power to do what's right. Jesus said this in John chapter 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Imagine someone posting negative things about you online, on Facebook maybe, and even mocking you and ridiculing you with damaging lies about your character and your actions. What if this very person, your sworn enemy, got into some kind of trouble and asked you for help. Even the best of us would find it difficult to want to help someone who had done everything they could to humiliate and destroy us. What if that very person was sentenced to die 
for their own crimes against you and others. Wouldn't you feel kind of tempted to be vindicated? Yeah, it serves them right. That's what they get for saying that on Facebook about me. Now imagine a scenario where a strange loophole in the law allows someone else to take that person's punishment. What are the odds of you or me taking that person's place on death row and giving our lives so that the very person who has mocked us and lied about us could go free? It's probably not gonna happen, is it? Probably not gonna happen. But this is exactly the miracle of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter five, verses six through eight. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What this verse is saying is, look, if you find a really good person, somebody might possibly die for them. You might die for them. Parents, we would obviously, most all of us, give our lives for our children if we had to. If we were in a situation where one of us is gonna live and one of us is gonna die, we would probably all obviously choose to give our lives for them. But what this verse is saying is, in the very midst of us spitting on Jesus, of us punching him in the face, of us driving the nails in his hands, of us mocking him and scourging him and humiliating him, in the midst of all of that, he loved us and he forgave us. While we were doing it, Christ died for us. Fact is, God entered history as a man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life that we should have lived by perfectly keeping God's laws and then he died the death that we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving he was the son of God. He now offers us salvation and forgiveness of our sins if we'll turn from evil in our actions and thoughts and put our trust in him. Folks, this offer is not some kind of false hope. The evidence is not only that Christ's death and resurrection in history is true, but his love is poured out into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, says the word of God. Fact is, God changes our lives from the inside out when we give our lives to him. Most people want God to fix their problems in their life, but they don't realize that he doesn't want to fix their problems. He wants to change them first. And this may not be what many people are searching for, but it will meet the deepest need of the human heart. God will change us and then through us, uh, fix our circumstances. You know, we started this message today talking about the multitudes who make the journey to visit Ground Zero in New York to reflect on the fateful events of 9-11. It's very difficult to find hope at this place of such loss and such pain, such destruction. But there's another Ground Zero that we should consider today. It's the place where Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago. The pain and suffering experienced there is far beyond what we can imagine or comprehend. In fact, the Bible says that at this place, the sins of the world were placed upon one man, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he was marred more than any man. His body was inflicted more pain than any other human that's lived. 
when we look at the ground zero of the cross, our fear can be replaced by faith. Our despair can be replaced by hope. Our hurts and pains by God's healing mercy. This is the place where the world can find peace that it so desperately needs. The truth is that God loves us regardless of how far we've gone. The truth is God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. The truth is three days later he rose from the dead and proved he was exactly who he said he was. The truth is that if we will turn to him in faith, he will cleanse us and give us a new life. And the truth is, you can receive him today by simple faith. If you want to do that, you can just pray a simple prayer. And by the way, there's no, this is not a, 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 there's no magic in the words. There's no hocus pocus about this. It's you expressing from your heart that I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I know that I can't do anything to take it away. And so I accept the gift that Jesus gave on the cross to pay for my sins. I I allow us to exchange places, him paying the price for my sin and me taking the place of his righteousness. And you can just make that simple prayer right there in your seat. But if you do that, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to fill out one of those connection cards in front of you. And I want you to take it to one of our leaders, one of our pastors here, the Connection Center today. Let us assist you. That is not the end of your spiritual life. That is the first step in your spiritual life. And we want to help you grow so that you can now help others find what you have found. We're going to sing another song before we go today. Folks, I want to encourage you. The resurrection changed everything. It is the single event in history that has changed everything. Listen, even my atheistic friends write, when they used to write out checks, you know, they'd write the year, and the year refers to the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, even atheists write that. They even know what year it is, right? Folks, we're going to look over the next few weeks at, at the proof of Jesus' life and death and burial and resurrection. I want you to bring your friends I want you to bring your friends that are far from God. Help them to see that they don't have to lose all their sins to become a Christian. All they have to do is look at the evidence and make an intelligent and an informed choice to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had to be with you today and with each other. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that has been expressed to us in it and through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we are most thankful for salvation that comes through your son. We are thankful that someone dared to share with us how we could know you through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for that. We pray that we will be a blessing to others, that we will be able to be used by you uh, to not only answer questions in our own lives, but in the lives of those who are searching for you. Help us, Father, as we go through this series to gain more strength in our faith so that we can have a profound impact on others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I hope you have a happy Easter. Why don't you stand, sing one more song with us, and then you'll be dismissed.